Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, we know the NBA wants to return in mid-July. We know the NHL is going to be returning sometime shortly. Even football has said minicamp might open up in June. About two weeks ago, it sounded like baseball was ahead of them all. Now what? Let's get into that and more. 97.3 ESPN.com Phillies insider Frank Close. He's one of the hosts of the Powder Blue podcast. Let's get some insight on what the heck is baseball's problem right now. Frank, it seems that they have a clear path to jump out in front and kind of do something here. Yet, they are seemingly falling behind. What is going on with baseball, and why is this week potentially one of its most important weeks? Well, I think originally the first thing that they wanted to address was was player safety. And they released a 67th, well, they didn't really release it, but there was a 67-page document that got sent to the Players Association that uh, kind of addressed their health concerns. And I think that once the players believed that the proposal was that was not going to put their health at risk, not put their family's health at risk, then it sort of turned to, okay, well, how do you pay us for the year? And that's kind of what's happening today. So uh, a number of sources, including Ken Rosenthal, The Athletic, Jeff Pass, and the ESPN, they seem to make today the day that, that baseball is finally going to make a formal proposal about how to play the, how to pay the players in a shortened season. And, you know, so far we had some things leak out in the media, you know, talks of a 50-50 revenue split, but nothing concrete had actually been formally offered. And so supposedly today is the day they're finally getting a proposal. That has not seemed to leak out just yet, uh, but but this is the first step towards trying to resume play. So it sounds like that they got the health concerns taken care of, and now the question becomes, can we get the finances worked out? So essentially it comes down to the players. We're, we're at where we were about a week ago is do the players and the owners come to an agreement on compensation? And if they don't, we have no season. And if they do, we'll have baseball. Yeah, it sounds like that. I, you know, it, it's, it's hard to imagine that this would result in some sort of strike or something uh, down the line uh, where they can't agree because, I mean, let's face it, there is a great incentive to both sides to play. You know, baseball doesn't want to risk losing their brand, even if, even if it is an immediate financial loss of some sort for, for a lot of teams. Uh, and then for the players, you know, they, this is their livelihood. You know, you have some players, you know, it's easy to think of the players making millions and millions of dollars, but, you know, what about the guy that might have a year or two in the major leagues and, and make that major league minimum and then never play again? So that this is a life altering for for a lot of major league baseball players and you know there is an incentive for them to want to play and the question just is well how how do you pay them now they had previously agreed to play on on a prorated salary depending upon the number of games played uh some have suggested that that they want to stick to that um but but when that agreement was made you know we were all kind of thinking okay well we could be shut down for a few weeks and then we're going to come right back and nobody was expecting playing without fans. And, of course, that is a major revenue hit if you don't have any fans in the stands. So that kind of is where they're at right now. Will the players give back anything uh, along the way to make it easier for, for owners? Now, let's face it, some, are, some franchises are more comfortable than others. The Yankees probably can make their payroll still, but uh, can the Pittsburgh Pirates? Can the Milwaukee Brewers? You know, think of the smaller markets 
that don't have the revenue, that don't have the television packages that some of the big teams do. And that's where it's going to come down to. Do you personally feel like the MLB messed this opportunity up? It's a pretty ugly look between the two parties while you have the NHL and NBA, who it seems they're on track. And now when everything does return, the MLB will have to compete with the NHL and NBA playoffs. Yeah, that's a very interesting question. I don't don't know that the leagues were necessarily in competition with one another. I mean, if you look around the country, uh, only in the last week or two has there been any sort of wide-scale semi-opening up, you know, with safety precautions in place. And um, I I think this, this, you kind of got to the point where, as as Governor Cuomo of New York actually invited uh, teams to resume playing in New York City in terms of no fans and with safety measures, Governor Murphy in New Jersey just uh, said, hey, you know, you can resume your, your, your sports now. So I think before that happened, uh, it's kind of sudden. Um, and we were just sort of in this um, lockdown mode and nobody seemed to, to have an end in sight. And, and in that time, it was really kind of hard to figure out how to move forward. So I think that, I think they're all going to kind of come together um, at once for that reason, that there finally is a path to move forward. Frank Close, 97.3 ESPN.com. Uh, at Frank Close on Twitter. That's close with a K. Frank, uh, Bob Nightingale of USA Today reported that the MLB owners have approved uh, a proposal to give players um, a sliding scale of compensation. So it's not a 50-50 revenue split. It's some sort of sliding scale, which I guess is something that they're really trying to iron out this week. Do you think that would suffice the players? Is that, okay, depending on how much money we end up making... Um, you know, under this proposal, the players making the most money will take the biggest pay cuts. Those earning the least will get the most of their guaranteed salaries, which, you know, if you're a minimum paid player, you're going to get most of that. But if you're Mike Trout, you might not get your $30 million. Yeah, that's a really tough one. I, I think from the Players Association perspective, they really don't want to tie their, their income to revenues because, uh, you know, as one agent said, you know, the, these are all kind of arbitrary numbers at this point. Nobody knows what they're going to be, and you're basically just projecting. And so you can't really tell to, to what extent this is going to have a financial impact on the game and on their salaries. Um, and, and they also don't want to, to concede in the future that, you know, their, their salaries will be tied to revenues in any in any kind of way. So I think that's something that they're really they're going to try to avoid. And, you know, something I've talked about before and, and Ken Rosenthal mentioned in his most recent piece in The Athletic was maybe the players would be willing to defer some of the money, but they would still be owed that money. And uh, if they defer the money, you know, and by the way, I, I want to point out, too, there's still some sort of ramifications to the players because if there's a lot of deferred money after this year, when players hit free agency, there will be less money to go around for those players. So it's almost like it's going to hit the players at some point one way or the other. I get that they don't want to um, give up the guaranteed contracts. They don't want to give up uh, their set salaries and separate them from re- revenues because that's, that's something they've really held dear. Uh, but I, I got to I got to figure that this is going to eventually lead to some reduction in their pay, whether it's explicitly done right now or if you defer some money and then there's less to go around later. A few players are pretty open about being unhappy, Blake Snell being one of them, Mike Trout, Bryce Harper chimed in as well to a lesser degree. But how do you think the MLB would handle a situation where big-name stars are kind of like, eh, no thank you, I don't feel like I'm going to play? Do you think 
if they have enough players that will go out there and compete, they'll just say, okay, fine, don't play then, and they will move forward with some lesser stars out there. I think once that there's a union agreement, players are not going to go against that union agreement because they would be forsaking not just uh, themselves, but they would forsake essentially all the little guys as well. So I think it would be highly unlikely for a star player like Mike Trout, like Bryce Harper, who, who did have some legitimate concerns along the way. I mean, I think we all want to make sure that Mike Trout sees the birth of his child. That's a very reasonable request and, and something guaranteed by the player contract. Uh, but I, I don't see them breaking ranks from the union. They are members of the union, and the point of having a union is to have a unified voice. So I think whatever the union decides, I think it would not be a good idea for a player to speak out against their own players' union because that does a lot of damage in the long run. Frank, uh, what's the deal with the report over the weekend from Jim Salisbury, confirmed by John Heyman, that the Phillies will reportedly train in Philadelphia uh, for a kind of a spring training? So if is this them? First off, are they even allowed to work at Citizens Bank Park yet? Yeah, that's an interesting uh, uh, question. Now, Pennsylvania, as far as I know, did not declare that that players can train there. Uh, now, um, according to the guidance from Governor Wolf, uh, Philadelphia is set to go to, to the yellow phase of their scale on June fifth, which generally speaks of limiting um, crowds. Now, one thing that I've I've seen happen at other things, like for example. Um, some of the questions are, well, if churches reopen, uh, is it a set number of people, like 25, or is it a percent capacity? Well, I can tell you on that side of things that they're going to let people, whether they're temple, church, mosque, et cetera, uh, it'll be about percentage of capacity. So you could argue that if they're training at Citizens Bank Park and the capacity is 55,000, uh, it would be no problem for them to train there. And, and they really do have the means to, to spread out a lot, too. Uh, they have the two bullpens. They have two clubhouses. If, if it's just the Phillies staying in the clubhouses, and they can spread out over the two clubhouses. They could probably use other offices. I mean, heck, you know, Bryce Harper could get dressed in a hot dog stand if he wants because they're not selling hot dogs. So there's plenty <laughs> of space to, to to spread out if they want. So I think that I think the idea behind playing there is that they have the ability to to feel secure in their homes. And if things work out, they'll be able to play uh, like the Baltimore Orioles if they need to scrimmage. They can play against each other. Uh, I think they're less worried about uh, the scrimmages at this point, even though there probably will be some some spring training action. Uh, if, if, you know, the Yankees, the Mets are in New York, the, the, the Orioles are in Baltimore, it'd be really easy to take a quick bus either way. All right, let's uh, transition over to some Philly stuff real fast. Uh, ESPN.com ranked all 30 teams DH. Philly's last. Uh, so does the DH help or hurt the Phillies? I didn't really think that that's kind of surprising to me because, you know, when I think of the Phillies and their options, it seems like they have a lot. I mean, Jay Bruce is no slouch and he's probably the bat that stands to, to, to gain the most, uh, from this, whether it's Andrew McCutcheon resting his ACL or Jay Bruce, uh, taking up some space in left field or, you know, you know, they're going to be creative with all those types of arrangements. And I think that, but that's not a bad thing. Uh, now, you look at other teams. I'm just just thinking about the National League East for a second. And the Mets can play Yoenis Cespedes there, perhaps. I mean, but but you know, is he a sure thing at this point? Uh, you know, we kind of look at the Washington Nationals. They got a bunch of veteran players. They can mix and match the Hallie Kendricks of the world. But I I get that they might be any National League team would kind of be at a disadvantage compared to the AL because the AL. 
went and, you know, they, they put their resources into a player to be a starting DH. And none of the National League teams did when they constructed their rosters right now. So so, so I kind of get that they would be put um, in a different category, but it, it's really, really hard to say that, what that about, they would be the worst. What about using Alec Bohm there? Do you think that's a, a possibility to start the season and just have him on the big league roster? He would be the DH against lefties, and, and Jay Bruce would be the DH pr- primarily against righties. Is that a potential option? Possibly. You know, I, I think a lot will depend on how they work this this out. Um, I know that I, I did hear in some national level that there was a concern over um, having many of your young players all of a sudden, because the rosters might be bigger. You know, you might have your whole 40-man roster and then some around, and they're worried that players might accumulate service time uh, ahead of their day. So, um, if they if they have some wiggle room, you know, Alec Bohm might be the kind of guy that gets to watch for a little bit, and then as the season progresses, maybe they start slipping him in there, especially if there's an injury or something of the sort. But uh, I don't know that they would go into the season and just say, "Hey, you're a de- you're a designated hitter." I think they would probably um, have him in the wings a little bit, watch a little bit, be on the taxi squad if there is such a thing, and then at some point they they might, they might want to mix him in, and, and it could depend on the, the service time. I mean, Alec Bohm did not get to AAA at all. And he did not start the season in red either. Uh, so, uh, you know, he, he kind of rose through the, the system very quickly. So to, to kind of throw that on him out of the gate, I think, is kind of tough, even though most people believe he's a very talented hitter and, and will be a major league bat. All right, we'll uh, close with this. You know, uh, you just wrote a piece for 97.3ESPN.com that the Phillies, after 82 games, have been uh, in the playoff mix under uh, Gabe Kapler the last couple of seasons. So if it's only an 82-game season, do we feel that that's a positive for the Phillies? You know, uh, the biggest thing that, that occurred to me there, you know, uh, Jake Arrieta, for example, a, a piece in your starting rotation, he had made every start up until game 82, and he played for several starts after that. Now, he wasn't stellar Jake Arrieta, but he's also not – breaking down Jake Arrieta and you have to find some other solution of some sort. So, you know, if, if his body at 34 years old um, can handle an 82 game season better, that helps the entire rotation. Even if he only pitches to like a four year A, like he was at that point. I mean, he was like, and he had some good starts. He had a couple eight inning starts. He was seven and six last year. And then also too, you know, if, if uh, someone like Reese Hoskins, uh, maybe, maybe he got tired last year. Uh, you know, if you look at the numbers, you know, at the end of 82 games, he was still uh, still hitting very well. He had no PS over 900. And in the last couple of months, he kind of faded away. Maybe maybe this helps him get the stamina. He can just keep keep the foot in the accelerator the whole time. And let's not forget, Aaron Nola struggled early, but then by July, he was in, uh, you know, top Aaron Nola form. So, um, so those are some things to think about, you know, that things that where there are things went wrong, there'll be less time for things to go wrong. Um, now, of course, you don't want to have a player – get into a slump at any point in 82 because it's almost like you know a, a three-game slump is essentially a six-game slump when you think about what, what matters towards the end but um but it's an interesting question to go back and think what last year would have been like if that was the 82 games and then you have to ask the, ask the question ultimately was it a was it poor leadership that led to the led to the decline um ultimately that's why the phillies made a change of manager they they cited the september swoons the last two seasons and that's why they went in another direction but you know i could see the new energy of, of joe girardi in an 82 game span uh be you know something that kind of puts them over the edge real now, quick on that i want to i want to get your opinion hunter and i talked about this last week he asked about girardi's impact and i say that being an american league game 
diminishes his impact a little bit. Huh. That's, that's not that I haven't really thought about. I, I mean, he's he certainly managed successfully in the American League. Uh, so that's because he uh, had the best. He had the most talent in the National League. Did. When you have the manager has a role in a National League game, that role is lessened in an American League game. In a, in a way, I think that's a little bit overstated. I mean, a lot of times the the, the double switching and stuff is. Is I think it's overstated at times. I think I think where the manager makes a difference is on the leadership. It's knowing when to give the guys their days off, and and here he can kind of his his, his strategy will have to be the DH, and and he has experience cycling players for the DH to give them days off. You know, a lot of the time that he was in in New York, there 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 was no like big poppy or anything that you know where you were the DH period, and then everybody else played around the diamond. I, you know, there was some strategy to the use of the designated hitter under Girardi, and maybe that'll help them now. But I, you know, I, I mean, he was a he was a National League Manager of the Year once upon a time, but that was fourteen years ago. So, <laughs> so yeah, so we'll see. All right, Frank Close at Frank Close. He's got a lot of good Philly stuff up right now, baseball stuff. On our website, 973ESPN.com. And of course, Frank, like all guests, appear via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, guys. All right. Uh, Frank and the guys will be back next week with the Powder Blue podcast as baseball is kind of in a transition phase right now. I hope that money doesn't keep them from returning. Well, I think that is the case. Yeah. I know. But I hope that cooler has prevailed. How bad of a look would it be if baseball and basketball are out there playing and they're bickering over how much money they're going to make? If there's one league to do it, is it not baseball? <laughs> That's true. Uh, guys, don't ruin a good thing. This was only successful because it was on against nothing, and everyone was looking for some kind of sport to watch. If the Phillies, Sixers, or Flyers were on Sunday, I wouldn't even have glanced at a hole. No, I disagree with that. Now, Sixers, if the Sixers were in a playoff game that same day, okay, you know what? You're right. But a Phillies regular season game, people will absolutely tune in to that golf tournament. Just as much as that, if not more. Um, I think he's got a decent point, though. If you have playoff games going on and a baseball game going on, you're probably not. He said he locked into all 18 holes because there's nothing to flip to. Yeah, how many times you bring up the guide and there's freaking nothing on? Yeah, I do that all the time. I mean, nothing. I can't go to 2019 Iowa versus Penn State. I just can't Yo, do it. Today, I watched the 1995 playoff game with the Cleveland Indians. And who were they? Were they play? Oh, they were playing the, uh, the um, Boston Red Sox. Yeah, I'm out. I mean, I can't do it. You know, it was awful. This is an opportunity for you to, you know, build your culture. Watch some. My culture is built, baby. Yeah. And you're sitting there watching old baseball games. You, you need a life. What do you mean? That's building my culture. <laughs> Maybe for you. <laughs> All right, when we come back, we got plenty more, including the headlines. They're coming up on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN, the free mobile app. There's never an offseason for the NFL. It's football at four. Six, South Jersey's number one sports talk radio show on 97.3 ESPN FM. Hi, Mike Gill and Broads here on the Bash 97.3 ESPN at Broads81 at Mike Gill Show. Use the hashtag AskMikeAndBroads. We'll have your questions at 4.30 today for Ask Mike and Broads. I had fun with that last week. Some good questions. It really sparked some interesting conversation when there's nothing going on. I can't wait to see what happens when the games are back. Yeah, maybe though, if, if we look at this, maybe it's bad. Maybe we'll get those 
<laughs> Irrational hot takes, yeah. They're going to come. But they're always fun, too. They're going to come, no doubt, no doubt. You're going to see someone where it's like, instead of Hunter Brody, it'll be like Bunter Hody, and it would ask about Andrew Knapp after like a <laughs> Phillies game. Like, oh, that wasn't me. Is Andrew Knapp a uh, possible DH option? <laughs> An option for the DH spot. I hope not. All right, Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. Um, all right, we'll have the headlines coming up in just a couple of... Uh, minutes here as well there's a lot going on you know one story that kind of came across to me as well um was on the top of the golf this weekend uh have you watched i'm not a nascar guy at all have you tuned into any of the nascar because i wouldn't imagine that nascar is affected by not having fans out there either not for one second i don't even know what channel it's on gil is it nbc Uh, i think it's fox Okay. I'm not, I, I I'm not no 100%. Clue. Josh just said Fox, so I'm going to go off that, but I'm not 100% sure either. Now, if you had to guess, would you say that Josh tuned in to any NASCAR? Uh, would Josh tune in to NASCAR? Probably not. Really? Tom- See, I feel Pete like Thompson's he would. a NASCAR guy. Yeah, but that fits PT. I could see him sitting there watching it, having the towel around his neck, relaxing in some khaki shorts with maybe a cold one or two. I can see that. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm surprised. I was kind of surprised that PT is a NASCAR guy. I, I, you know, maybe, no, you know what? Now that I think about it, it doesn't have a lot of strategy. There's not a lot of thinking. That's right up his alley. <laughs> Although, listen, I, I do understand where you're going, you know, where you're coming from there. But don't you think to a degree that there is a lot of thinking in that? More than we think. Let's just go there. Uh, I have no idea what the strategy of NASCAR is, to be honest with you. Uh, no, I'm with you because to me, it's if you push the pedal down all the way, everyone should be going the same speed. I mean, at what point then is something else happening, right? Now, I get it. There's shifting and whatnot. I'm, I'm clearly. Well, no, know. this is where having a team, the guys who build the engines and all that stuff, there's better guys who do that stuff than other guys. And then, of course, there are the different makes and models of the car, like a Ford guy against a, a Chevy guy. Yeah, but think about in track, right? There's always someone, if it's long distance, who goes with the theory of, I'll just jog, and then at the end, I'll go for a hard sprint while the other people sprint off the jump, and then during the backstretch, they can't keep up. I mean, to the same degree, that's what happens in, in NASCAR, no? I don't, I, I really, I can't say that I've ever, watched, I can't even imagine what Josh is itching to say right now. I don't even want to let him say anything because it has to do with NASCAR because it's not going to make any sense. I just want to know for you guys, if someone sat down and answered all these questions for you, would you be more inclined to watch NASCAR? No, I have Absolutely zero not. interest in NASCAR. No interest. Do you have an insider for us, Josh? Or well, I'm. I don't really. I mean, I know PT would love to talk NASCAR, but that would probably make everybody turn off the radio. I, I have. I lived in college with two guys who were NASCAR fans. They watched NASCAR on Sunday over football. Wow. I yeah. You said that before. Yeah. So that's a that's a huge disgrace. They're from Western, like Western PA, out in that, like outside of Pittsburgh area, and I mean, that was it. But even those Earnhardt, people man. down south that love NASCAR, they love football just as much. Yeah, so but the, they love college football. And college but football college on, Saturday. Football. on Saturday, and NASCAR's on Sunday. Yep. Oh, come on, like you can't be a, selling me that garbage. What do you? If you're a Georgia Bulldogs fan, you watch the Bulldogs on Saturday. You watch the race on now North Carolina. Um, the Panthers are not that big down there, and college football's not all that big down there either. I mean, their college football teams stink. 
What if the Carolina Hurricanes have a huge matchup on Sunday afternoon? Nothing. I mean, NASCAR down there, it's college basketball. I would assume one, and NASCAR's probably right there behind it. Yeah, Marty, I could not imagine that. I've heard Marty and McGee talk about this, that NASCAR is so huge in the Charlotte, North Carolina, northern South Carolina area that it, it's bigger than the NFL down there. Yeah, that's true. I- how is that possible? I, I just, I mean, different, like, you say, how is it possible? Like, Alabama doesn't have a pro football team, so college football is way bigger than pro football. Up here, we think that's bonkers because we don't have college football here. But let's say this. Even though they don't we have do baseball, think it's they don't crazy. have the NBA, they don't have any pro sports in these towns. Yeah, but we still love football, so even though... We have our passion for the Eagles. We still all, as football fans, embrace Saturdays. We enjoy it. We sit down on the couch because we love the sport of football. If they love Georgia football that much, you would think that they would still appreciate the game on Sundays no. more so than driving See, I the think car. You're wrong. First off, not a lot of people get on a couch on a Saturday and appreciate college football around here. No, no. I do. Yeah, but we're different. <laughs> Is that a good thing or Seriously, a bad thing? No, I mean, seriously. There's not a lot of people. There's no college football program around here that anybody has any ties to. But what about the people like you, Jeff Mosher, who go to these big schools, and then once they graduate, they still have that that love for it? We do, but right, because we went to a major university that has major college football. Not everybody. I mean, most people in the audience did not don't do that. They don't go to a... A, a major college, and that's not a knock. It just most people did not go to some big university that has a football team that you follow. People around here are just, you might have a smorgasbord of this guy likes Notre Dame, he likes Florida State, that guy likes Penn State, that guy over there likes, uh, you know, Miami. I just think if you're an Eagles fan to our level, right? I mean, we dissect training camp stuff. Like, if you're an Eagles fan to that level, I think you love the game so much that Saturdays, if it's Alabama, LSU, like if it's these big games, I'm not saying sitting down for a, for a Memphis game every single Saturday, but you know, those big SEC matchups, those big 10 matchups, if it's Michigan, Ohio State, you're going to dedicate your Saturday to watch those games. And I feel like if you're that Georgia fan that loves Georgia as much as we love the Eagles, if you know it's Cowboys, Eagles, or if it's a big rivalry on Sunday, they're going to find a time to sit down and kick back nah. and watch that too. No, you're you got to differentiate, Hunter, the difference between the hardcore sports fan and the casual sports fan. The casual sports fan makes up the larger portion of the sports fandom. That's why the casual fan always goes for the mainstream thing on the TV or at the bar. Then they're going to go for the niche. So we watch the game, the Cowboy Giant game, because it has an effect to one of the teams that is here. That doesn't interest them. But what about Packers-Bears? See, to me, that has nothing to... I mean, sure, the NFC, okay. But in reality, it's just a rivalry that I enjoy watching because I know it's going to be a fun match. Yeah, but that's because you're into the NFL. That's the reason. They're not into the NFL like you are because you have an NFL team that you follow day-to-day. They don't have an NFL team that they follow. They live in Alabama. They don't have an NFL team or Arkansas, Mississippi. They have no NFL ties to anybody. But don't they just love the sport of football? Theoretically, yeah. They love college football, though. There's a lot of people who like college football. They don't like the pro game. 
Yeah, I, ju- I just find that hard to believe. Like, if I enjoy a sport, for the most part, like collegiate, I'm going to say I'm going to love every level, but I mean collegiate and pro A majority levels. of the people that I know have no interest in college football. Just don't care. See, I know it depends. There's so many levels of just don't care. Like I said, if it's a 12 o'clock game and it's two AAC teams matching up, if it's Temple versus Houston, all right? Like, I don't see people really getting ready to go for that game. But if it's an LSU-Alabama game at 3.30, I feel like people plan their Saturday to watch that tilt. I don't. Would you? Let me ask you, would you? I don't plan my Saturday around it. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, hey, there's a good game on. Let's go outside someplace and watch it if it's like an early September, October game. And what if the game was at 8? Would that change the scenario? Uh, no, not necessarily. Like, I, I would imagine that, like, for me, yeah, I would like to be around a TV to watch it. But my group of friends are not like, dude, we got to be somewhere to watch that game. Huh. They just don't like, you know, my... Much like you, like a buddy of mine went to Rowan and another buddy of mine went to Stockton. Like they just don't have college football is not something that's ingrained in, in them. Now, when you say that, it made me think I have a lot of buddies too that didn't go to these big schools, but the difference is they are addicted to sports betting and they just love betting on so well, many games that, that that's mind. why Saturdays have them on the couch. Uh, that's new. We didn't have that. Keep that in mind. You know, we didn't really have sports betting my group of friends when we were growing up, like where you could just do it on your phone. So, hey, look, again, I I love college football, mainly because I believe, in my opinion, I went to a school that has, we're not national championship material for the most part, but we're top 25, we're BCS bowl game back when they had the BCS. We are college football playoff possibility almost every single year. So I love college football for that. Plus, I went there. There's a part of you that when you went to the school, you have a club. Like, I value, I've told you before, you probably can't even believe this. I would rather West Virginia win the national championship than the Flyers win the Stanley Cup. That's crazy. That's crazy talk. Someone's got to get this guy off the air. Well, if you went to a school that had major college football, you'd probably feel the same way. Listen, I root for Rowan, but there's no way. Send a text message, 609-403-0973. That's 609-403-0973. All right, 339 on the Sports Bash. Mike Gill, Broads, what's going on, everybody? At Broads81, at Mike Gill Show. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, ask Mike and Broads coming up in less than an hour. You can ask anything you want. How was your weekend, by the way? It was your birthday? Was your birthday yep, today birthday. or was it yesterday? Uh, it was Saturday, Big 2-5. I didn't know that. Yes. Okay. You missed a rager at my place. I know, dude. When I tell you I've tried every scenario on getting down there, I really did, but it just it overwhelmingly did not work out, and I'm a little bummed about it. I mean, we had the karaoke mic out at about 1230 in the morning. What were you singing? What's your go-to? My girlfriend had Cardi B. Come on. She did Cardi B. I did a little uh, Garth Brooks. I also did Third Eye Blind. Friends in Low did, Places? Nah, what, are we, what are we doing? I, the dance. Okay, good tune. I slowed it down because I was trying to get everybody at the hell out of my house. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say my song when I do karaoke is Summertime by Kenny Chesney. It's a good tune. Oh, I thought you were going to do DJ Jesse Jeff in the Fresh Prince Summertime. <laughs> no, no, but that would be sick. That's what I would have about pulled out if they gave me. You know, my one buddy did... Um, 
Ah, oh, man, what the heck did he do? Oh, I'm on a boat. I'm on a, I mean, it was. Getting, oh, so you guys were pretty deep into those IPAs at that point. We correct? were social, socially distanced, by the way, as well, passing this thing around like a hot potato, spraying the top of it. You know, I have a big porch, so we were pretty spread out back there. I made, I made wings, ribs, corn. I, I grilled pineapple. I mean, wow. I was on that grill like a, uh, like a crazy man. And then, um, yeah, I mean, we had all sorts of uh, stuff happening out there. We had well, no- we're going to make that happen again. Well, this, I mean, I can't imagine we're going to be allowed to, out to a restaurant or a bar anytime soon. So my porch will have to suffice. So I'm inviting myself over to your place is essentially what I'm doing. Well, I invited you to come. I invited Josh. He, he was a no call, no show. Well, I, I was I was with you. I mean, I was going back and forth. Yeah. Like, dude, I am trying my best to get down there. I didn't realize it was your birthday, though. Yeah. See, I bought all this beer special for Josh, and I won't let anybody else drink it, and it's sitting in my fridge still. I got to get it, rid of it. Is it Corona? Yes, yeah, Corona Light. Just for Josh, That's huh? what he asked for, Corona Light. So I bought him a thing of Corona Light, and I don't let anybody else drink it. We have two fridges on the back porch, the IPA fridge and the visitor's fridge. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> you want a beer? You're in the visitor's fridge. Leave this one to me, pal. <laughs> Although, when I was there last, I was digging into your side. Well, we'll let people go in that one. Most people don't. I mean, most of my friends are not. They're like college, non-college football fans and non-IPA drinkers. By the way, a couple text messages. Uh, says, guys, love pro, fall, pro football. Don't watch a snap of college football. Wow, that is shocking to me. Weird, right? It is, because I love both. They're great. It's both fantastic. Uh, another text says, I think they're more into the regular NFL game down there than they used to be, a lot like uh, like a lot of the country. Everyone plays fantasy. That has a lot to do with it. I agree with you, Mike, about college up here. Penn State's the closest thing locally. And that's like three and a half hours away. The fantasy football, though, is a good thing of why people like the NFL. There's no real fantasy college. I mean, there is, but I don't know anybody that does it. I didn't know that there was, to be honest. But, yes, fantasy and sports betting, two things we hit on, is why it's probably growing, but not where I think it should be. What was that? I said fantasy football and sports betting shows that it's probably growing, but it's not where I think it should be. Okay. Are you all right over there? What did you have? A little senior moment? I thought you said something about the match and fantasy. No, no. Sports betting. It's all right. It's a Tuesday. First day back from vacation. You're thinking about the IPAs and the singing. And you're not there. Yeah. Uh, ready for some headlines? Yeah, what do we got? All right, cool. So the 2020 NFL season projections, and they used ESPN's Football Power Index. When it comes to the Philadelphia Eagles, they have the sixth best chance to win the Super Bowl at 4.3%. Your thoughts? Um, That's interesting because I'm imagining that means they're the favorite to win the East, which puts them into the playoffs. Well, you are wrong because the team ahead of them happens to be the Dallas Cowboys. So that means the Cowboys would probably be the one that has a higher percentage to win the division. I did see that they did like a simulation of like 20,000 times the the 2020 season and the Cowboys won the division like 47% and the Eagles won like 45%. Wow, that's 
That's so. That just shows you how close this battle is going to be. Now, I said the Eagles were 4.3% to win the Super Bowl. The Cowboys are 5%. So it's not like some huge difference, but the Cowboys are ahead of them. If there's one discernible difference that would make you lean for one team over the other, I think they're both pretty equal. What's the one difference that makes you lean one way over the other? Well, I would say coaching because you have this philosophy that's been here in Philadelphia for years and years while you have a new head coach and you also have not just the head coach part of it, but you have Dak Prescott and the whole contract talk. So, I mean, I guess I would just say the the comfort level with the head coach and the regime with the Eagles. Even though I say that, I still think the Cowboys are going to win. But that's what I would say is what would be the difference in this situation. How about yourself? Uh, There's two things. One, the coaching. I would lean Peterson over McCarthy and having to be a new staff and getting that, you know, team. Uh, Even Peterson has talked about how hard it's been virtually to get the team together and build chemistry. And he's already been here. I can't imagine being any new coach having to be. This is your first year with a new team. Good luck with this. You can't even talk and see any of your players. That's got to be very, very difficult. The other thing uh, I would say, the one difference for Philly. Now, I don't know if you saw this. Jeremy Fowler, over the weekend, they did uh, which team improved the most over the offseason, who had the best offseason. He had the Eagles. They they were the most improved team over the offseason. Now, is that bad, though, that they're getting this much hype? I mean, I remember 2018, they got a lot of hype about that roster, and it didn't relate to much. So I don't know if I'm loving all this hype about what they did this offseason. Um, well, they went to the playoffs in 2018. I mean, I know it was a wacky circumstance, but they had so many injuries that year. But that's, that's the thing. Very true. That was my second point, is he talked about how they have been. I don't know. What was the actual? Um, they're the most improved team. So that was what he he labeled them as the most improved team. The other teams that got vote were Tampa Bay and Arizona. Tampa Bay got three votes, Arizona got two, and Philly got one. He said they're the most improved team in the offseason. And the one so I said coaching is the other. The other is the health. I mean, if they can stay healthy, they were not healthy last year, and they were still better than the Cowboys. Well, with the most improved conversation. Does that factor in players returning healthy as well? So it's not just new acquisitions not as in according Slay? to what he wrote. His was based on adding Slay, adding Hargrave, uh, and then adding some speed on the offensive side of the ball, something that they didn't have last year. Those were kind of the things that he listed as why he thought they had. Plus, Roby Coleman, Will Parks, he liked both of those moves. So uh, the depth that their defense has that they haven't had so that they do have injuries they're better equipped to handle it than they were in in the last year. And then you add, you know, I think the interesting part is there was an article, Pro Football Focus, ranked the best situations for rookie-wide receivers. And he had Jalen Rager ninth out of 10. And his reasoning was, well, Deshaun Jackson is kind of going to take the role that he would excel in. And I don't know that I agree with that. I think they're going to use Jackson and Rager and compliment them. I think so, too. Oh, yeah. Doug Peterson is going to get creative with that. He's going to find ways to get Jalen Rager the ball. So I agree with you. I'm going to have to totally disagree with that. I mean, it's not as if Rager is not going to be able to produce because Deshaun Jackson is on the field. I mean, that would be silly. 
Uh, yeah, no. The only thing I would say is if Jackson is playing, you know, if he's back and healthy, that's number one. I don't care if it minimizes Rieger's role because it means Jackson's back and healthy, and that can only be a positive. But they both are – I think they're going to use Rieger in different ways. They're not going to use Jackson in the, the sweeps and all that. They want to minimize the way that he touches the ball and could get hurt. But Rieger, I think they'll use on the jet sweeps and the bubble screens and all that kind of stuff. Couldn't agree more. Now, going back to this – when you look at the other four teams, so it's it's the Eagles six, the Cowboys five. Could you guess the top four? Yeah. Kansas City. Correct. Um, who would be the top four teams? Now what's the what is it again? It's the highest chance to win the Super Bowl. Baltimore? Yes. Kansas they are City, number two. Baltimore. Um how about New Orleans? Yep, number three at 13%. San Francisco. Bang. Smart man you are. Some days. Next up, Vince McMahon says he won't try to buy back the XFL. Now, is this the end? Is this the end of spring no. football? Should they stop trying this? No. Nope. They shouldn't going- stop trying it, and I don't think they will. According to Ben Fisher from the Sports Business Journal, I'm glad you brought this up for headlines because I was just reading this. The XFL's investment banker says 20 possible bidders have already entered into confidential agreements as they considered buying its assets from bankruptcy, and they all hope to execute a 2021 season. Huh. Now, it did seem like people were tuned into the XFL, but then the coronavirus happened. So I wonder what would have happened if this wasn't going down. They would have kept playing. But the ratings were definitely dipping week after week they after week. They were dipping, but they weren't plummeting. Correct. Like the first year of the XFL back in 2000, they were plummeting. They were like record lows. These were okay. These were holding steady. They weren't flying downwards. They were just kind of slowly going into the area where they were going to kind of be. I'm reading the book Football for a Buck right now. I'm listening to it on Audible. But even the first two or three chapters, it's interesting to see. Now, they had a different strategy than this XFL. They went out and actually got real players like Herschel Walker. I haven't got much further past that in terms of when they started getting. But we know that they got Jim Kelly. They got Steve Young. They got Reggie White. They had Anthony Carter. They had other great players. That's where I think the USFL had an advantage over, say, the XFL. The problem was the XFL, uh, excuse me, the USFL decided to try to move to the fall and go head-to-head with the NFL, and they got squashed. Yeah, that's silly. But I will say this, though, with the XFL. There's been a lot of players that have signed NFL contracts since all of this occurred. Now, it could be teams taking flyers on some players, no doubt about it, but that does show that the skill level there is at least worth an opportunity to look at. Well, the last time the XFL was around, back in 2000, they also um, signed some players over from the old XFL and brought them over. Now, speaking of like spring football, we had the AAF the year before. And that rule is in play, possibly, by the Eagles to get rid of the onside kick and use the AAF rule of going for it on fourth down and 15 from your own 25 instead of the onside kick. That's interesting. 
this is the thing, though. I just feel if it's been three, four, five attempts or however many it's going to be eventually, at some point, doesn't it just say, listen, this just might not work? What, the spring football? Yeah. I think this spring football was on its way to working if they didn't have the coronavirus pandemic. I well, let think me say it this real been back quick, next year. We just talked about how you're an NFL fan. You love the NFL. And a lot of those people don't watch college football. Like, if you're not watching college football, how can you possibly dive into the XFL? You know, like, college football is way better of a product, with all due respect. So if we're talking about how you can't get into college or NFL just based off of not having an emotional tie, how is it possible to get sucked into the XFL like Well, look where the teams were, though. Dallas, pro football town. Houston, pro football town. L.A., eh, I mean, I wouldn't say pro football town, but L.A., huge market. New York, not a college football town, definitely pro football. St. Louis, they love the team there. They were doing well. Seattle. That was the were, one team that stood out the most, St. Louis. Seattle was drawing very well as well. Tampa Bay is more of a pro football town, although, I mean, I guess they're a little bit of a, a college. I mean, they have South Florida there. They're kind of near University of Florida and Florida State and D.C., so they were in more of the bigger NFL cities. Now, that, that's true. I, I just find it hard to imagine it really working, like being truly successful to the point where people have to watch their XFL football. But I, I don't know. I just feel after so many times of trying, maybe it's just telling. Like, I, hey, I, this I might think, not work. Yeah, it's, it's telling, but if there wasn't this coronavirus pandemic, I don't think we would be saying that the XFL failed, I think we would be talking that they would be coming back next year. It's very possible. No now, this, like this USFL story that I'm listening to, I mean, it's just bonkers to think that that league ever got off the ground, number one, and that it was had the players that it had. I mean, I was listening to, you know, some of the teams, like, you know, they're, they're playing and uh, they're, they're practicing at, like, middle schools that, you know, they had, like, church buses that were, like, falling apart and breaking down. Um, that the players, you know, like, uh, they had drug addicts and guys who were just, like, hadn't played football in, like, five years. And, like, that was who they used to start this league up. And yet they were able to convince Jim Kelly, Steve Young, Reggie White. I mean, these guys who went on to NFL Hall of Fame careers to play in their league. Well, uh, it, it does seem like they are tweaking it every single attempt that they do it, and there are things that are working more than others. So maybe it's possible that each time they do this, there's a tweak here, a tweak there, and eventually it turns into a very successful product. Well, I thought that one thing the XFL would have been interesting is that they let players come out after their sophomore season, and that that's how they jumped ahead of the NFL to sign Trevor Lawrence and to get those high-profile guys to play there first before they made the jump. Now we're talking. All right, coming up, football at four.